0: And now, an Arizona PBS original production.
1: Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you. Welcome to Books and Company. Bienvenidos todos. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by New York Times bestselling author, essayist David Sedaris, talking about his latest book, Calypso, published by Little Brown. Welcome, David.
0: Well, thank you, Alberto. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, this is, this is quite a book, and I, 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 I can't wait to, to sort of launch into the anecdotal parts of it, which are, are uh, st- <laughs> affecting... They are uh, often just, uh, you, you burst out laughing. And uh, I have to say they are equally, uh, as, as humorous as they can be, they are equally ice. That is to say, you are saying some strong things. So we have a lot of things to talk about. But perhaps we could start with you giving a short synopsis of the book itself.
0: Gosh, well, it's an essay collection. You know, okay. personal essays. I just write about my life and I write about things that happen to me. Um, every now and then I'll just write about a thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, one of the essays is about being short, which I just think of as a thing. Um, <laughs> one of them is about cursing in other languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them are about, you know, are more narrative and they're, you know, myself and other people in them. And they read like, you know, stories, they move from place to place. And, um, I, n- I never sit down thinking, Well, I guess I'll write a book now. I just am always working. And then every three or four years, I, you know, I finish something and put it in a pile. And every three and four years, I think, oh, that pile's as big as a book. And then we turn it into a book.
1: So you mentioned that these are personal essays. And that's a very particular kind of essay. You're not trying to give us instruction or guidance or anything. You're simply reporting from the front that is you. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay.
0: I mean i you know i i i never thought when i started off writing that i would be writing about my life but there's a kind of a shorthand to it that i sort of like you know you don't have to reintroduce the character with every essay <laughs> um sort of build on build on the character and it's not like anything big happens to me really i mean every now and then something does but i i sort of make something out of nothing really i think that's mm-hmm. my job is to make something
1: out of nothing well it has sort of a picaresque quality in that sense. It just, it's a, it's a, uh, a book of essays that are small adventures and they're, uh, if I can even uh, characterize it further, they're almost dinner conversations. They're, they're, they're small dinner parties, each one of these essays.
0: Well, quite often that's where I'll kind of test an idea. Not I don't like to talk about an essay before I've written it, but there, <clears throat> like there was a story an, an antidote that begins one of the essays and it was a, I was on an airplane and the woman uh, behind me was somebody on the plane compared his broken overhead bin to Obamacare and, <laughs> and then it, all the people around me laughed. And it was that situation of being in a situation where you realize you kind of hate everyone who's seated around you. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the essay went on from there, but I t- you know, that was something I actually talked about at dinner tables was <laughs> that Little antidote that begins the story and then sometimes you tell a story like that and people will laugh and you think Okay Like this could be the start of something You know just because it's a you know a crowd pleaser. Sure. Sometimes.
1: Sure Well that that leads to a very to a question that I, I guess I'll jump to I was saving this up but um, my question is really Do you have any sense of freedom in the sense that everything in your life seems like it is potential subject matter for a Next book or a next essay. So how do you relax?
0: Well, I guess I'm always on you know, I mean, I'm always searching for something I'm always kind of looking at the world looking for something that's You know that maybe I can use or something I could expand upon, you know I read the newspaper and I'm thinking oh is there something here I go out on the street and I think, oh, is there something here? But I don't think of it as tiring work. I think it's just the way that I look at the world. And it's over time, it's just sort of become who I am. Hmm. Um, But yeah, no, no, I don't ever, I guess I don't ever think, I mean, there are plenty about, there are plenty of things I don't write about. You know, I don't really write about my sex life. I don't write about, and I don't write about, um, you know, I've never written about who, no, people don't know who gets to me, who causes me, who I hate so much. <laughs> I lie in bed at night thinking about I don't want people to know who gets to me because then they could figure out how they could get to me, too. <laughs> I mean, OK, I don't that. You know, I don't I'm not on social media. I, I don't engage with not people. at all. I
1: don't not at all. You're not on social no, media no. at all. I okay. mean, okay, interesting. A lot of writers are.
0: Well, so I have a Facebook page. I have a Facebook page, but I've never seen it. <laughs> I don't, I've never seen any Facebook page. I don't know what. I don't know what Facebook looks like, and I'm not the least bit curious. Um, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. I'm. I. And, yeah, I I know people who who enjoy that, you know, who like to especially, like, argue with people who don't like them, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's the point, right? Well, if if you don't uh, engage in that, I'm wondering how technology itself uh, fits into your life. Do you work on a computer? Are you a longhand writer? How does this all work for you? I do work on a computer. Mm -hmm. I I don't have
0: any relationship with the phone, you Mm -hmm. know. I've never... I don't know, maybe I've sent like three texts. Um I don't, I don't, when I get in an elevator, I'm the only one in the elevator with a notebook in his hand instead of, uh and all my notes are the same. Everybody's looking at their phone. Um Because often people will say, how come you saw Siamese twins in Amsterdam? I never see Siamese twins in Amsterdam. And it's like, well, you're on your phone all the time. <laughs> you don't see anything. You don't notice anything. Hmm. I'm often the only person who's looking around. Everybody else is looking down or looking at their screen.
1: So fair enough. Uh, let me ask how far that extends, though. Um, if if you're writing about your life about David Sedaris, and uh, you're writing from notebooks and stuff, do you ever make up David Sedaris?
0: Do I ever make him
1: up? Yes. Do you add no, I mean, add to the experience? I mean,
0: I think there's a I think if you're trying to hold an audience's attention, you know, you to be, there's the you and then there's the character of you, right? There's Mm -hmm. my dad and the character of my dad. And so I guess when you're thinking of yourself as a character, I mean, real people live in the world and characters live in books. So you're kind of thinking, how do I take this story of this thing that happened and how do I make a story of it? So you have to think of the people in it as characters or your story won't, won't move along. Okay. You know, it's mainly like, I think I'm probably more interesting in the book than I am in real life. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, if I'm, if I'm relating a dialogue in the book, I'm probably going to leave out, I mean, I am going to leave out all the conversation that's mm-hmm. boring, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm trying to keep a reader. I mean, sometimes people will say, you wrote about that dinner and I was there at the table and you didn't even include me. And it's like,
1: <laughs> well, you yeah. didn't say
0: anything interesting. <laughs> and it's just another person for the reader or the listener to keep to another name for them to keep in their head. But you didn't really contribute anything. You know, because I mean, often I mean, I noticed that a long time ago. Why do I stop listening? Like if someone's telling me a story or somebody's reading something out loud and I think, OK, I stopped listening. Why did I stop yeah. listening? And I think, oh, because they threw 17 names at me. Or, oh, because they're, you're, you know, they're saying. So I walked into the bakery sure. and the person at the desk said, hello, sir. <laughs> and I said, well, hello, madam. And she said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. And you, I'm doing very well. Thank you. What can I get you this afternoon? And then I realized I'd left my wallet at home. It's like, then just say I went to the bakery. And then I got in line and I realized I left my wallet at home and I laughed because that was really boring. You know, all that dialogue that didn't lead anywhere that you just bored me with and you blew your, 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 your allowance, your, your capital, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because you, you, I'm not, I'm, I've lost faith in you as a narrator. Sure.
1: Now that, that, that is an interesting kind of training for a writer. It's intuitive. And the way that you're, uh, learning how to write by what you yourself listen to and don't listen to, and then translate onto the page is that your training, or would you say you, you came to it a different way?
0: Mm. When I first i I went to art school, okay. but I took about four writing classes when I was at art school. Mm-hmm. And I took a couple independent studies. And then I took an independent study, and then I took a writing class, and then I wanted to take another independent study. And the teacher said, mm, no. <laughs> and so... But, I'm so glad that he did that because you learn so much from other people's mistakes. I feel like you can learn more from a bad piece of writing than you can from a good one. Hmm. Um, and and I, did, when I started doing these readings, I would know, go out, in, I was living in Chicago at the time and I would do readings and I would, again, I would sit there in the audience and I would think, why did I stop listening? Or why do I have no faith in this person already. Um, And, you know, sometimes you would see people and they would start reading and they would say, uh, Thomas walked into the classroom and realized that he felt like a fraud, that he felt like a fraud. Well, I mean, I know we've all felt like
1: a fraud.
0: (laughs) He, He asked a question and looked into the room and didn't see anyone raise their hand. Well, you know, duh. And they would make asides and I thought you lost me why would why well, what are you doing like the, or the same is like if somebody's phone goes off and somebody the person who's reading then scolds or that's much more interesting than anything that's written on a piece of paper because that's live and and, and, it, and, and it's volatile and anything can happen and that's much more interesting than something that's written on a piece of paper that's been on that piece of paper for months it's not going to change. So I just or I'd go to a reading and somebody would just look like they'd been working on their car. And then someone said, you remember, you got that reading in 10 minutes, <laughs> like I would think and they would get up there and then they would say, I don't know. Do you want me to read this or do you want me to read that? And I remember sitting in the audience and thinking, you don't know, you didn't prepare. And even so, I even if I, you know, with the time and be like, I paid three dollars for this. But. But it just seemed disrespectful to the audience. So, I don't know, I just really got to say it was a really good education. It's just going to other people's things and paying attention. You know, the show starts late. Then... All of those things. You're Who the hell do you think? You know, because if your show starts late and sometimes a show, you know, I go on these lecture tours and I Mm -hmm. read in theater. It's called a tour. I just read out loud. But usually you start like 10 15 minutes late because the house manager says we still have a lot of people at will call, right? It's not my fault, right? But then the audience imagines me sitting in the dressing room saying, I'll go on, I'm <laughs> goddamn good and ready to go on.
1: I'd like to remind our viewers you're watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by New York Times bestselling author and essayist David Sedaris talking about his latest book, Calypso.
0: Alberto, yes. This is a Skype thing, and I'm not really used to this. I didn't, maybe, I didn't hear you say number one New York Times bestseller. Oh, number
1: one, number author. one New York Times bestselling author. I, I'll shout it from the rooftop, tops, absolutely. I don't think anybody's <laughs> confused about that, believe me. Rest assured. You know, you, you make a very funny, there's a very funny, uh, I was just laughing out loud because I talk about this myself. You were talking about how, not respecting the audience and all, all that sort of stuff. And there's that attitude of a, maybe a reader, but there, there are physical things too. And you, you you have a part about everybody needing to be hydrated all the time now. And that's a very big thing here here in Arizona. And it's very distracting when somebody is drinking water all the hmm. time as, as a device, not necessarily because they need it.
0: That's something I pay attention to when I go to a reading. And uh-huh. if somebody takes water when they, sh- at a weird time, right? Yeah. Like generally, you know, there are water glasses there. And yeah. so I'll do it strategically, right? And I, so you do it while the audience is laughing, or you do it mm-hmm. if you've got a, a pause that you need to, you know, kind of draw out, then sure. you'll do it. But I always find it weird. Someone, like if I was talking to you <laughs> right now and I took right. water. If I was in the audience, I'd say, why did he do it then? I mean, one time I was in Hawaii and a lizard was crawling on the ceiling of the theater and it (laughs) lost its grip and it fell into my water glass. And it was only about that big. (laughs) And so I I took a sip and there was a lizard in my mouth. And then there was another time there was a stink bug on the rim of my glass. So I took a sip and it was like... (laughs) Because it was a stink bug in my mouth,
1: but <laughs> I think those are okay. I,
0: think I, can <laughs> I mean, there've been times when, or I had uh, this horrible laryngitis one time when I was on tour. So there are other, you know, but even so, you try to do it strategically. You drink your water. You use it as an instrument, almost. And I don't believe in water. You know, <laughs> I mean, when you go on a tour now when you go to the united states they'll say you need a bottle of water for the trip to the airport and i always say i'm not walking you know this car is going to take me to the airport and i'll be there in 10 minutes i think i'll <laughs> live but in america america people are flying with water all the time but i guess i have it i do have it at the podium and i guess i've learned to use it as a i don't know as an mm-hmm. instrument
1: mm-hmm. Well, let, let me ask you something else now. Let's go back to the, uh, to the writing itself. And you, you, as I said earlier, incorporate a lot of humor uh, in what you do. And, and yet uh, so often what you're talking about is, is profoundly serious, even if it seems uh, casual. Let me ask you about that, that idea of humor. It, it, is it distracting? Is it sleight of the hand? Are you trying to distract us from the, the more serious intent of the moment? Or is it part and parcel of the regular?
0: Um, Well, I mean, there are a lot of any number of writers who I have so much respect for who are serious writers. And they would, if you laugh at anything, it'd be almost an accident. You know, Mm -hmm. that's just not what they're looking for. They're not looking for laughs. But Mm -hmm. I am looking for laughs and I would die without them. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I was younger, I was more desperate. You know, I needed to prove that I could. You know, I would need you to laugh every, you know, I don't know, like every 20 seconds at least. Or I would think I'm not doing my job. But now I'm older and I guess I feel like, well, I know I can get, I'll get, you know, I always end every evening when I'm on tour by reading things from my diary. And so I'll get my laughs then, Hmm. you know. So I feel more comfortable telling a story. You know, reading an essay now that doesn't have a laugh every twenty seconds, Mm -hmm. and I feel it took me a long time to believe that people were listening. I would think, oh, if they're not laughing, they're not listening. Mm. You can feel people listening, and you can feel them drifting away. That sounds very Kumbaya. No, I I understand. Audience. A lot of times, they just start coughing, you know,
1: Mm.
0: and that means I just checked out. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm here. In body
1: you do have Uh, that that, you do have the personally uh, sort of revelatory uh, story you tell on yourself about uh, having your your partner Hugh read your book in manuscript and you keep waiting for the laughs and you're wondering what's happened when he's not laughing
0: well you know I have the worst boyfriend that way (laughs) he is so serious I was just telling someone he just got all excited. He returned from the bookstore with the new translation of Ulysses, right? That's a good time. For him. And I often think, if Hugh—that's my boyfriend's
1: name—I
0: mm-hmm. don't think he, he wouldn't like me. If someone, if he and I weren't together, and somebody came up and said, "David, today," he would say, "Oh my God, are you kidding? You, <laughs> you like him? I don't think he would like me at all if <laughs> I weren't together." But he always wants to. He always proofreads my galleys. And so I sit in the next room and I and I said, what are you laughing at? Why aren't you laughing? <laughs> so I sat next to a young woman on the plane one time and she was reading my book, she didn't laugh at all. Oh. And then I sat next to a woman in England and she was reading my book and I just couldn't bear it. And I said, you know what, I wrote that book. And then she had me talk to her daughter on the phone.
1: <laughs> That's a good story though. <laughs> well, when, when you're doing this, uh... <laughs> When you're doing this kind oh, if, of— Oh, I
0: mean, if, you, if you're writing stuff that you're expecting laughs from, and someone's reading your book and they're not laughing, it's murder.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. Well, you, you, you have an interesting—when we were talking earlier about what's interesting to you, if it's not interesting, and you talk about Hugh coming back with a, a translation of, of The Odyssey, uh, the idea of interest, th- those are two very far-afield uh, notions of what's interesting. And uh, I wonder what would happen to the notions of, of, let's just put this in air quotes, great literature, which we don't necessarily laugh at, and we're not always interested in much of the time. Moby Dick, for example, how would those survive today? Perhaps you are capturing the new wavelength, the spirit of our times, the zeitgeist, which is much faster, more immediately interesting. And, and yet I wonder how that fits in with the greater... Uh, oeuvre of literature itself well
0: i mean like with moby dick i did i did this thing for esquire a number of years ago where they what they wanted people to write about something every person should do mm-hmm. and i felt like oh everyone should read moby dick but i knew that i would lose interest in it uh-huh. so i told myself i could not wash my hair or take a bath <laughs> or brush my teeth uh-huh. till like i finished with the book And I had helped the neighbor clean out her chicken house. So I had these chicken mites all over me. It was murder. And that's the (laughs) only way I could get through that book. But I know other people who were like, Are you out of your mind? Like, Hugh loves my book. And there are all these people who, and there are people I respect, you know, but I think I, for a long time ago, I mean, I used to pretend I'd read books that I didn't read, I didn't want people to think that I wasn't. But you know what? I'm not the brightest person. (laughs) I'm not. I mean, I you to, I'm not looking for your pity. I mean, there are people who are, are less intelligent than me. I'm like, on a scale of one to ten, I'm like five. Mm. Um, but but I'm sixty-one, <laughs> and so I'm 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 at peace with that, mm. and I'm at peace with the things that I like to read. I mm. I don't I don't feel like I need to lie and tell you that. I love Joseph Conrad, I hate every single word of Joseph Conrad, but, <laughs> but if you enjoy him, go ahead.
1: Fair enough. Now You, you write a lot about, uh, well, what is interesting to you, which is often family. And, and so in, in writing about family, you disclose quite a bit. Do you ask permission? How does that work? Uh, do they like that you write about them?
0: I mean everybody has their secrets and I don't reveal secrets that people in my family have. My brother used to really enjoy being written about and then there were some things he wanted me to cut out of this book, this new book. And so I did. Okay. I cut them out. I don't want him to okay. embarrass him or I don't want to him to feel exposed. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm no, I don't I'm not that person who Who says well, you know what I was I'm I'm gonna write about whatever I want to write about. I mean I'm not saying I wouldn't try to talk you into it Um, I mean, I'll give it a shot, but if it's that important to you, I don't want to I Don't want to embarrass you or hurt you.
1: That makes sense Uh, Reciprocally, are they all writing books about you or comedy routines or whatever it might be
0: a couple of people have written books about me and (laughs) one of them one of them interviewed me for the book, and he was very, I liked him a lot, but I, I told him up front, I said, I will never read your book. <laughs> I would never read an article about myself. I would never uh, read a review. I don't, I just don't do that. I, uh, I mean, sometimes I, I'm interviewed by somebody, and I'll be curious what their writing is like, but mm-hmm. not curious enough to read what they
1: about me Okay, fair enough. Well, to, to close up the interview, let me ask you how it feels to, you've, you've mentioned aging now a couple of times. Uh, the book is more contemplative than perhaps other efforts. You are thinking about the world in, in different ways, especially with regard to yourself. Uh, how does that feel to be at this position now?
0: Well, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> I mean, I used that. To think that when you got to be... I mean i used to think when you got to be a certain age you would go around and you would think gosh i'd give anything to be 20 again and you'd be mournful almost because you weren't young anymore but then when i think about like especially this news in the news lately about these plastic guns 3d mm-hmm. you can if you have a 3d printer you can i don't necessarily want to live in that world i don't want to live in the world where you kind of can't make any kind of a joke without offending people. So I'm, I am can figure I got like 20 years left. That is fine for me. Like, I do not need to see what it's going to be like 80 years from now. Okay. Um, I'm absolutely at peace with that. Get me out of here. That's what i say. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to leave now, but 20 years from now. Me out of
1: here. Well we'll look forward to reading these next 20 years of David Sedaris. I, with that I want to thank you for joining us today and I would like to thank you our viewers. You've been watching Books and Company. I'm your host Alberto Rios. We've been joined today by number one New York Times best-selling author essayist David Sedaris talking about his latest book Calypso. Please join us again next time when we'll be bringing you another good book. Thank you for joining us, David. and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you.